Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Pastor Gary, he'll be giving us this sermon. God bless you. Okay, praise the Lord. Well, it's good to sing that song this morning, The Old Rugged Cross. And um, really, that's what we've been looking at as we have um, considered this particular series that I've done over the last few months now, The Seven Sayings of Christ on the Cross. And how significant they are, how glorious they are when you consider them as we have over the course of this particular study. And so when you look at this, the cross is truly that which we glory in this morning. Everything that Christ accomplished on that cross, everything that it symbolizes, everything that it accomplished, everything that was fulfilled, everything that it speaks, the cross is is so central it's the foundation to our faith in all in which christ has accomplished on it and so i want to consider with you this last message in this series of the seven sayings of christ on the cross we want to look at the seventh saying and really this last saying if we were to define it or express it it is a word of contentment or a word of uh, submission, some have called it, but a word of contentment, I think, is the appropriate term as we consider it. And so remember the last three sayings that Christ has spoken. They came in quick succession, as did this one. And so remember, after three hours of darkness in the middle of the day, Jesus at the end of that, Father, Father, why, has, why have you forsaken me? We looked at that where Jesus uh, was uh, separated in that sense from the Father as he who knew no sin became sin for us. Then he said the words, I thirst, and then he spoke the words, it is finished. Now you would think that having said it is finished, that that would be complete, but yet there was one more word or statement or saying that was to come, as we'll see in a moment, and this was the seventh saying, and seventh, of course, in Scripture, representing completion seven the number seven representing perfection and so what we have jesus accomplishing in his death as he has suffered immensely as colm has pointed out in those scriptures of the suffering servant jesus has, has, has suffered and here he is on the cross and now he's about to die and just prior he speaks the words that we are going to consider in just a moment but he's completing his act of suffering and his ultimate act here of death, death on the cross, as the Bible would tell us. This is the last, the last act of suffering that Jesus will endure here uh, when he speaks these words. It's all coming to an end. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the son of God, yet he was the son of man, and he subjected himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross in Philippians chapter 2, which we'll touch a little bit on later in this message. 
but he humbled himself. The Bible says he took the form of a bondservant and he humbled himself and he came in an appearance as a man. Here we have the incarnation. God is become a man, Jesus, the son of God. And here he is. He is, he is 100% God, 100% man. And yet in, in suffering, he humbled himself, the Bible says, to the point of death even to the death of the cross. And we are picking that point up now as we consider these final words that Jesus will speak before he, he physically dies. He has done the will of the Father. He has completed the work. And so, as I said, his words here are words of contentment because he understands exactly who he is, exactly what he has done, exactly where he is going. And the relationship of the, of the union between father, son and spirit is intact. And so Jesus is in full knowledge of who he is and where he's going and what he's about to what is about to happen. And so he's about now to give his life and he speaks. And as he as he's about to give his life in death. He speaks some profound words concerning his spirit. And so we want to pick this up in Luke's gospel in chapter 23, which will be our text this morning. And we want to look at verse 44 through to verse 46, specifically at the moment, and see what Jesus says. Now, the Bible says, now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, note the words, he cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now, Note the words that Jesus is speaking. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having stated those words, the Bible says he breathed his last. Now, it is significant that we understand again what's going on here. But I think it is uh, important to point out, as we have with every saying that we have considered up until this point, every, every saying, we have touched on the fact that it is prophetic. The Bible foretold the events of the cross. It foretold so much aspects of Jesus's life and ultimately his death. And every statement that Jesus makes here, we have uh, been able to track it back to an Old Testament prophecy where the prophetic element is established and now fulfilled here in this particular text. And so this particular scripture is found in Psalm 31. And uh, I'll read from verse one so you can get a picture because it, it, it in, uh, encapsulates what's going on. But it's in verse five specifically. But let's read from verse one in Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily, my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net, which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Into your hand, 
I commit my spirit. You see, his enemies had made a net for him. And this was all part of the sufferings. And he was given unto them. And they uh, uh, they brutally, as uh, Colm pointed out, his appearance was so marred, so disfigured, that he was unrecognizable, the Bible says. And so uh, you're, you're talking about they, these people had brutally and horrifically dealt with Jesus uh, and here he is on the cross and he says, uh, uh, keep me out of the net. But then he says, into your hand, I commit my spirit. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You see, I've said this before and I'll say it again because it must be understood. Jesus's life was never taken from him. Mark it down. You see, yes, he was delivered to death. Yes, he suffered, and he suffered greatly, as we have seen. But even up until the point of death, he is in full control of his mind. And he is in control of what's going on, and he doesn't breathe his last in the sense that, oh, he can't breathe any longer. But having now it is finished into his hands, he commits his spirit, and then he breathes his last breath. John's gospel picks it up for us. And in John, when he writes his account in John chapter 19, he says, and Jesus gave up his spirit. Jesus gave it. He said, it actually says these words, it is finished. He gave up his spirit. You see, he gave his life. It was never at any point taken from him. He laid it down, as the Bible says, and he gave his life and he died on the cross that particular day. And so, again, we must understand that as we look at these particular words this morning, Luke is very specific because in our text, and he is the only one that refers to it, these particular words in this manner, and so Luke is specific because he says, uh, Jesus speaks and he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. That word commit in, in the Greek, it, uh, it teaches us the fact that it means a place to place alongside or to put in the hands of is, is in the form of trust and protection. And so even though Jesus has gone through such a brutal suffering, in he, he says into your hands, into uh, he, he's trusting the Father. He is in full confidence, full assurance. These are words of contentment because he knows where he has come from and he knows where he is going. This is what the Bible teaches us. And so he understands uh, all these things that he is in the Father's hands and he has come to do the Father's will. You see, he is in fellowship with the Father. That was broken there at that, uh, at that hour in which Christ was crucified and darkness uh, came upon the earth and sin was poured out upon him. And he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? That communion was broken. But right here, when Jesus says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, there is a restoration because the work of salvation and redemption has been completed. Sin has been paid for. It has been done away with. And so this is important for us to understand this morning so what more can we draw from these words that jesus speaks what else is it that we can see this morning that lie behind these particular words well the first thing that i want to point out is that uh, uh jesus's words here 
is uh, he is committing his, uh, himself into the hands of the Father. You see, the question is, uh, where has Jesus been? And the fact is, is that he has been in the hands of men up until this particular time. You see, um, <coughs> excuse me, we see this in the scripture because uh, he's committing himself now into the hands of God. But the question is, in whose hands has Jesus actually been? He's been suffering up until this time and Colm pointed out in the scriptures that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that he as a lamb that was led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. And so this is important for us to understand this morning that uh, Jesus is subjecting himself to this suffering. He's subjecting himself to the cross. He's subjecting himself to the point of death, as the Bible says. And so remember when he spoke to Pilate and uh, he said to Pilate, said to him, don't you know that I have power to crucify you? And Jesus says these words, you have no power unless that power had been given to you from above. And so everything that is playing itself out is that which has been pre uh, foreordained by God himself. And so now the Christ is in the hands of men as foretold in the scriptures. You see, this is important to acknowledge because there were times when the religious establishment wanted to lay hands on him. There were times when the people, the people of Israel wanted to lay hands on him, but they couldn't because his hour had not yet come for him to endure those sufferings. I want to highlight this to you in the scripture. Uh, in Luke chapter 4, verse 28, the Bible touches upon this. And so this is where Jesus has been reading the scroll and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and so forth. And he quotes from Isaiah. Then he closes the book and he says, today, this day is fulfilled. And they looked at him because they were familiar with him. And the Bible says that they were filled with wrath. And so in a fit of rage, after he speaks some, some words to them, uh, the Bible says that, that all those in the synagogue, listen to it in verse Luke 4, verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they had heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. So they're handling him and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. I mean, they are manhandling Christ and they are pushing him to the edge of the cliff and they are ready to throw him over. But listen to what the scripture says in verse 30. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. He walked away. Now, how could that have happened? Well, he passed through the midst of them. They couldn't lay their hands on him. They couldn't throw him over the cliff because he just walked through them, literally. And so this is, uh, this is significant because at this point of time, he's yet to come to the hour of his suffering and the hour of his death. So they could not lay a hand on him. The Pharisees, the Bible says, they sought to lay hands on him, but could not, for they feared the people. So again, this was not the time. Jesus's time had not yet come, but how many times they wanted to lay hands on him. But that time did come. And we find in Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. Now the Bible says, now when they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man, 
is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up and they were exceedingly sorrowful. So Jesus is preparing his disciples and he says it's about to come that the, that the son of man will be betrayed into the hands of men. And so and in, in doing so, he says they're going to kill him. He's going to suffer. They're going to brut brutally uh, uh, deal with me. In Matthew's gospel further, in chapter 26, verse 45, the Bible says, Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? This is in Gethsemane, just as is about to be betrayed. He says, Behold, the hour is at hand. Now, as Jesus is saying, and the Son of Man is being betrayed, where? Into the hands of sinners. You see, Christ was betrayed by, with, by Judas. He was betrayed with a kiss. And then right here in the Garden of Gethsemane, while his disciples are sleeping and resting, and he's been in agony of soul and sweat dro great drops of blood, the Bible says that the hour had come, and he is now to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. He's in the hands of men. And now he has subjected himself to these sufferings that Colm so pointed out before our communion this morning. All these prophecies about his suffering, the suffering servant, and now at the hands of men, he's being brutalized, he's being beaten, he's being whipped, and he's suffering a horrific death. But you see, the point is this, church. He voluntarily delivered himself into the hands of men. He did it. He, I mean, the Bible says he could have called 12 legions of angels. They have no, no one has power over the Christ. But here he is, willingly subjecting himself into their hands. That is why after, this, after that suffering, that is why at the point of the cross, these final words are now, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You see, he delivered his body to the hands of sinners. And here on the cross, as he's about to, uh, to die physically, he delivers his spirit back to the Father. He says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You see, the Bible is so clear on this, church. Actually, let's look at Philippians. We mentioned this earlier, but I want to read from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, we'll, we'll read from. Because it's so significant what's going on here. The Bible says in verse 8, and, and, we, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So there it is. But listen now, having committed his spirit to the Father, look at what happens. Verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and of those in heaven and on those on earth and of those under earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. 
Think about that church. Here is Jesus uh, having humbled himself as a man to the point of death. He has suffered horrifically. Now he commits his spirit to the Father. And the Bible says God now has highly exalted him. And, uh, and to his name, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Everyone that is born, everyone that has ever lived, everybody, I don't care whether they say they believe in God or not, at the judgment, when they stand before God, the knee will bow unto Christ and the tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You see, this is so wonderful. This is glorious, what we are observing here. You see, one day, all men are in the hands of Jesus Christ. See, he was once in their hands. But one day they will be in his hands. And in doing so, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because not only for the saint, but also for those that don't know Christ, when they come before him in the judgment and when they bow the knee and make confession, and then he speaks the words, depart from me, I never knew you. And then those will be cast into eternal fire. You see, because they rejected God's provision. They rejected his salvation. They rejected his work on the cross. And therefore, they will be separated for eternity from him. And so Jesus was in the hands of men. But now he's in the hands of God. He's highly exalted. He's seated at the right hand of God. And we see what the scripture has told us. But what more? can we conclude from these words found in Luke's gospel in our text? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see this, the Father's hand is the place of eternal security. I said to you this before that the words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, is a word of contentment. It's a word of confidence. It's a word of trust. And Jesus, uh, these words, committing himself into the Father's hands is a place of eternal security. You see, he was not moved by anything that man did to him. He, 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 uh, 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 he, he was uh, only moved by what the Father did when he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me when he became sin? We saw his cry from the cross, but he knew who he was. But listen to John's gospel, chapter 13, verse 3. I love the way John puts it when he records it. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 13, listen to this. This is just before Jesus is about to, let me put this in perspective. This is before he's about to humble himself and wash the disciples' feet. This is God in the flesh, lowering himself to such a level of humility and servanthood. And just before he does this act, Listen to the, what he says in John 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. You see, God, the Son, the, the Son of Man, Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, he knew who he was. He knew where he'd come from. He knew where he was going. And because of this knowledge, he was able to wash the disciples' feet, to humble himself, to be a servant, and yet more than that, to humble himself and submit himself to the death of the cross, as the scripture says. 
You see, the issue of eternal security is something that is to be noted here that we see in Christ because his whole life was lived out. Uh, uh, and the re whole reason why I should say he was able to commit his spirit to the father in death is because he had committed his life to the father or through his whole earthly life. We know that as we read these gospels. You see, the seventh saying of the cross has much for us to understand, has much for us to be taught by. And it teaches us something. When we talk about eternal to security, I just want to digress for a moment. And I just want to not now bring this particular truth concerning Christ to the believer and say this. You see, what about our own eternal security? You see, once we are saved, hallelujah, Bible teaches us that we have a, a, a salvation and that salvation is eternally secure for us, amen, in Christ Jesus. And so we must understand the aspect of, that we are in the Father's hands and we too have a contentment. We too have a peace. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. When you are saved, when you are born again, when you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you don't have to fear death you don't fear the judgment to come you don't fear the wrath of god that is being going to be poured out you don't fear hell because you are saved hallelujah and you are eternally secure because you are now in the father's hands you see if we have if we have committed our spirit to god in this life when death comes we too can be like jesus at the point of death and say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You see how glorious this is, which we are, which we are picking up here in the Gospels. You see the whole reason we are, uh, Jesus speaks these words is so that we could have also an understanding of our own eternal security. Paul, the apostle, he taught this in himself in second timothy chapter 1 verse 12 let me read it to you because here's a man who understood and he says in second timothy chapter 1 verse 12 for this reason i also suffer these things nevertheless i am not ashamed for i know whom i have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what i have committed to him until that final day now listen again to those words paul the apostle had a confidence he says i know in whom i have believed and i am utterly convinced and persuaded that what i have committed to him unto that day is safe and secure and one of the things that he is referring to clearly here is his spirit he knows that when death comes knocking at his door he's about to die he knows exactly where he's going as he uh because he had uh, yielded to this life in his relationship with god and now in death it's just the same you know paul's not the only one who had committed his spirit in unto that day you read about the apostles themselves and all of them were martyred for the cause of the gospel they all suffered at the hands of men they were martyred and killed and you think about how could they have uh, subjected themselves to that? You know why? Because their master did. The, their forerunner did, Jesus. 
and they took encouragement from him and his words. And so they knew that their spirit was committed unto God and they had eternal security. They knew to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And so to, I, I would say to us this morning, maybe there's someone out there, sinner, are you fully yielded to God? Do you have this assurance? Do you have eternal salvation? Do you have eternal security? To the saint, I would say to you, are you fully yielded to God in this life now? Because if you are, when death comes, you will be fully yielded to him in death as well. And so to, to, to die the death of the righteous, we have to live the life of the righteous. And it's the crucified life the Bible teaches us. You see, let me read a little bit more just to minister to ourselves this morning. Jesus himself said in John's gospel, chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. You see, when you are in the hands of the father, as Jesus committed himself into the hands of the father, no one can snatch you from his hands. Jesus says that no one is greater than God and not even the devil can snatch you out of the hands of the father. In the father's hand, we, we have committed ourselves to, we are safe we are secure, we have eternal security, and that is a place of contentment for the Christian this morning. That is our confidence. That is our assurance. We call it the full assurance of faith. Praise the Lord. So Jesus had communion with the Father at his death, and why would not we? You see, we are not fearful of death this morning. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. We can see this in various other scriptures. If I can just draw your attention to Stephen the, in the book of Acts. You see, here is Stephen. He has preached unto the Jews the gospel. And, um, and all of a sudden, um, they are outraged at the things that he is saying. And the Bible says they pick up rocks and they begin to stone him. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 59, the Bible says that, uh, um, that uh, Stephen gazed into heaven and he saw. Actually, no, actually, he, uh, he spoke these words. Um, um, <clears throat> uh, what did he say? He says, uh, Lord Jesus. That's right. As they were stoning him, the Bible says he spoke these words. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Receive my spirit. You see, at the point of death, Stephen is able to say these words, receive my spirit. Or in other words, I'm committing my spirit to you, Father. And so this is the same spirit that we see in Jesus, the ability to have such contentment, the ability to have such peace, the ability to have such confidence. In actual fact, if we go prior to verse 59 and we go to Acts 7 verse 55 look at the words and look at what's happening here it says this but he being this is Stephen being full of the Holy Spirit he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said look 
I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You see, that's why Stephen was able to say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, because he was able to see the Christ. And have we not, we may not see him physically at the right hand of God, but we have such faith and faith sees, hallelujah. We don't walk blindly. Faith is the substance of things hopeful. It's the evidence of things not seen. Amen. We may not physically see them, but spiritually we see them because of that which is written. So we don't have a blind faith. Our faith sees the Christ. Our faith sees him at the right hand of the Father. You know, it was uh, recorded about D.L. Moody when he, uh, when he died, that he spoke these particular words. And he said these words, earth recedes, heaven opens for me. If this is death, it is sweet. Think about that. <laughs> Could you imagine in any, anyone in the world in their right mind speaking those words? Earth recedes, heaven's open now, just like it was for Stephen. If this is death, it is sweet. Death is the gateway. Hallelujah. We have committed our spirit to God. And so when that day comes, amen, we are ready to, in fellowship and communion with the Father, we are ready to take that step. Amen. And so that's what death is. It's just a separation of the body from the spirit. Jesus said into your hands, I commit my spirit. His spirit was separated from his body and he was phys he physically died. We will, so too will we, but at where we will forever the bible says be with the lord so we can see these things in the scriptures and i pray that we are encouraged this morning by these things but now i want to focus back on our on the scriptures for a moment as we bring this to a conclusion having indulged ourselves in that but if i can bring you back to the to the text when Jesus says in verse 46, he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, what happens directly after this is what I want to just close this message with. These are the concluding thoughts that I want to leave with you. And in go, if you look at verse 47, it says these words. We'll read from verse 47 to 49. So when the centurion saw what had happened he glorified god saying certainly this was a righteous man and the whole crowd who came together to that site seeing what had been done beat their breasts and returned but all his acquaintances all jesus's acquaintances and the women who followed him from galilee stood at a distance watching these things you see here's jesus in verse 47 we have an account of a centurion soldier roman soldier he's there and he has observed the course of the day he has observed the events of the crucifixion he has he has seen and heard the words of christ when he said father forgive them for they know not what they do and then he he has observed all of these things and the Bible says that when he saw Jesus give up his spirit, the, the scripture says his words are this. Certainly this was a righteous man. 
certainly this was a righteous man. Absolutely, Jesus was a righteous man. You see, he saw Jesus. The centurion saw Jesus for who he was. He saw a man that had committed no sin. He saw a man that was innocent. In the Greek, the Greek, the word a righteous man means an innocent man, a just man. And Jesus, if you want to talk about a miscarriage of justice and someone who, died, who didn't deserve to die, who died, then Jesus Christ, he is a righteous man. He is an innocent man, and yet he He's been uh, um, uh, numbered with the transgressors. He has been crucified horrifically on a cross. And the centurion has watched this. He's seen that uh, in the middle of the day that it has gone dark and it is pitch black. He has seen the earthquake. He has felt the earthquake um, as a result of the, 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 the natural um, calamities that are transpiring at that particular moment. He's heard the words. He's seen the hatred of those around him. And he's seen a man that's filled with love, a man that is filled with compassion. And his conclusion is surely this is a righteous man. Absolutely, he's a righteous man. And God opened his eyes to see the Christ just like he does for us when we see him for who he really is. Now look at verse 48. You have the centurion, but then the Bible makes reference to the whole crowds that are gathered. And they'd come together to that site. They were watching, as were many others. And when they observed what had been done, the Bible says they beat their breasts and returned. Now, why would they beat their breasts? See, in, in the Jewish culture, this was symbolic. And the reason is, is that they were, they were outraged. They were in fear. They were in anguish of heart and soul. Why? Because they saw the judgments of God being poured out and his wrath being poured out, the darkness, the earthquakes. They observed everything that was going on and they saw that the guilt of those that had crucified him and had hated him and handed him over uh, um, um, because of uh, uh, envy and so forth. And they, they didn't understand the full dynamics of salvation. They didn't understand the full dynamics of the cross, but they saw the injustice. And the Bible says uh, that they were outraged. They beat their breasts uh, and they returned at what they uh, returned home after what they had seen. Because I think to, unless you were filled with a hatred and, and, and as the Pharisees and many of the religious establishment were, you could not stand there and just be unaffected. That's why the thief on the cross who, who said, Lord, remember me after mocking him at one stage, then asks him for mercy because you couldn't be there in the right with a, a right heart and a hard heart without acknowledging just who this man is. And so then you have in verse 49, but all his acquaintances and all the women who followed him, they stood at a distance watching these things. You know why they stood at a distance watching these things? Because they were, Jesus had told them of all of these things. They would recall that he warned them that he was about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And they were observing the events they, under, they had a glimpse of an understanding, but not a full understanding, but they understood that Jesus said he was going to be killed and he was going to be into the hands of sinners and he was going to be brutally um, um, uh, afflicted by them. 
and here they are they're at a distance they don't know what to do they're just standing there watching this thing unfold and uh, and and in some senses we know that they had lost heart some of them even thinking oh my gosh this is the end they didn't some still didn't realize the whole aspect of the resurrection that was to come but you see here the effect it affect that's why when jesus appeared to those on the road to emmaus they said don't you know what has happened in jerusalem i mean everybody was affected the whole city understood the whole city knew what had gone on and yet here we have these responses that we have a righteous man this morning who was crucified and so as we reflect upon these things this morning church i want us just to remember the cross thank god for the cross you see this is the gospel of jesus christ the bible says that the cross is the power of god the preaching of the cross is the power of god under salvation you see to the world the cross has no significance they have no revelation they have no understanding but to us that are being saved the cross is everything because the cross is where it was all the work of redemption was completed and fulfilled and finished and so we as uh, as as we sang before we cling to the old rugged cross we hold fast and we are dwell near the cross, near the cross. And as Paul would tell us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, he says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we, the only thing we boast of is the cross. We cling to the old rugged cross. The cross is the, oh, hallelujah. The cross is so central, church, because there we humble ourselves. There we receive his grace. There we receive his mercy. There we receive his love. There we receive his forgiveness. There we receive eternal security. There we are in the hands of the Father. And so I want to close with this last statement that rings so true. The Bible says nothing, oh, not more, the, the statement says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And that is so true this morning. As we consider this series, as we consider the words that we have and the sayings of Christ as we have, there's nothing that we can bring. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing, nothing you can do to get right standing with God. And God, in his demand for perfection, he provided a lamb. He provided a, a, a substitute. He himself incarnated. He sent his only begotten son, and he died as a substitute. He died as, uh, as, a, as a suffering servant. He laid down his life, and in doing so, he purchased our salvation. And we receive, the Bible says this, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. You see, the, it, salvation is a gift, and the cross is that which purchased it. And what we do is have to receive by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God bless you all this morning as we consider these words. And, uh, and let us all rejoice.
in the Lord our God. Amen.